we won't cut out. Okay, everybody should have this by now. Who's the first disciple of Jesus? Mary is the first disciple of Jesus. And Mary's life is like trail markers. The Gospels are about Jesus, but Mary shows up in the stories just every so often. And I can look at her spiritual progression as she walks with Jesus and ask myself, am I following Jesus? Because I know she's following Jesus. And where might I be on my journey? Do I have the life of a Jesus follower? We've seen during Lent, Jesus chooses disciples and he meets them at the core of their being. A disciple learns caution with the power of Jesus. Jesus guides his followers to a transformed identity. We've seen that Jesus always does the will of the Father, not always what his followers expect. Last week, we saw that a follower of Jesus has courageous faith, which is boldly praying and obeying. And today we're going to see that a Jesus follower knows that Jesus' family is inclusive. Jesus' family is inclusive. Now, some of you might not at first thought agree with that statement because in today's society we have different definitions of what it means to be inclusive. See, God's desire and Jesus' sacrifice makes it possible for every person to be included. That's John 3.16. For God to love the world that he gave his only one and only son. So Jesus' family is inclusive. However, Jesus' family is not inclusive of every behavior or of every philosophy and belief. Jesus' family is not inclusive of every desire. See that distinction? Jesus is inclusive to every human being that is created in the image of God. But when I, as a human being, choose to define my humanity by my own behavior, my own philosophy, my own desires, my own feelings, well, then I may exclude myself. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. And as we go to the scriptures, let's begin with prayer. Lord, today we boldly ask that you reveal yourself to us in the word. Show us what life you have for us and how you call us to be a part of your family and what your family looks like. We ask this in your name. Amen. Just a few verses this, this week, so we're going to read the whole, whole passage. Matthew twelve forty six through 50. Says he was still speaking to the crowds, that's Jesus, when suddenly his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But he replied to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hands towards the crowd or towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. We see here 
Jesus' family seeks him. Jesus' family seeks him. Now, we know from Luke's account, when he also records this event, that Jesus had been traveling around and teaching through various cities and villages, including in Magdala. And, and so his mother and brothers probably had to catch up with him somewhere. They lived in Nazareth, and at some point they want to talk to Jesus, but Jesus is a traveling teacher. And there's no Facebook or Twitter check-ins. Jesus is in, you know, on the shore of the Galilee, on the east side, checking in. Jesus is in Tiberias, checking in. They, they've got to track where he went. Well, I heard Jesus was over there. So they went over there, and they've got to figure out what city he was going to and get there before he leaves. They need, and once they get there, they've got to find out where he's teaching or staying. And then, once they figure that out, okay, so we think he's in this city, they get to that city, where is he teaching? And then they finally find Jesus, and then they've got to get through the crowd to actually get to Jesus. And it turns out they just had to talk to, what they could do is they could talk to someone outside that could get a message to Jesus. They had to wait outside. Jesus hadn't given them backstage passes, apparently. It's somewhat like the story when Jesus healed the man who was brought down through the roof. Only this time it's his family and they're just outside and they can't even get to the roof. Or they don't want to tear up somebody's house. They can't get to Jesus, but they've been looking for him. They found Jesus because they wanted to speak to him. Now, we don't know why they wanted to speak to Jesus. It's not said in the text. I've heard some conjecture that this might have been around the time of the death of Joseph. It makes sense. Jesus' mother and his brothers are there, and Jesus is the oldest son. doesn't say anything about Joseph. Maybe that's why they're coming to see Jesus. That's possible, But really, knowing what they wanted to talk to Jesus about is not really important to the story. And that's why the gospel writers didn't put it in. What's important to the story is they wanted to speak to Jesus and they pursued him until they found him. doesn't matter what the topic of conversation was going to be. They were just going to pursue Jesus until they got to him so they could talk to him. A woman named Julie, as a child, she was adopted. And then, as an adult, she spent 33 years searching for her birth mother. She finally got a name and a phone number. She called the phone number. She got a man, and she said, I'd appreciate it if, if, if your wife would call me back. And this is the phone conversation. I appreciate you calling me back. My name is Julie. I have something very personal and private to discuss with you. Is this a good time? The woman on the other end says yes. So Julie continues. Well, recently Ohio passed a law that allowed me to have access to my own birth certificate, and I'm currently seeking medical records. 
I don't know what you're talking about. Well, if you have a moment, I'll discuss further with you. But it's very personal. Fine, says the older, uh, older woman, and her voice is getting a little bit harder. My name is Julie, and I was born on May 18, 1966, in Cleveland, Ohio, and I was placed for adoption. No response. Ohio law has recently given me access to my original birth certificate. The name Lisa Marie Keppel was listed as my birth mother, and that's what led me to you. Silence. If I reach the wrong person, I apologize. I would also like to thank my birth mother for the gift of my life. And if she ever had any doubts about placing me for adoption, she should put that at rest. Because I was raised in a wonderful family, I have beautiful parents, and I have three beautiful daughters. And on the other end of the phone, that person would be me. I never wanted to give you up. It was just a different world back then. 33 years, she was determined to have that conversation. She just wanted to say thanks. How determined am I to see Jesus? Will I put years into it? You know, Mary of Bethany put everything into being close with Jesus. That oil she poured on him was expensive. That was her, possibly her life savings. She poured it on Jesus so she could be close to him. If I'm not trying to get close to Jesus, if I'm not trying to have a conversation with him, then I may have to question whether or not I've included myself in his family yet. Now, we can ask ourselves, what are the marks of someone who's actually seeking Jesus? Well, prayer is one. That's talking to Jesus. Listening for his voice back to us from the scriptures is a mark of someone who's seeking Jesus. Being among his family. The fact that you're here this morning, you've got one of the marks that you're seeking Jesus. And walking in the path that he walks. That's what his family did. How did they find Jesus? They literally walked where he walked until they caught up to him. First John 2.6 puts it this way. The one who says, says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If I'm pursuing Jesus, I better be walking just like Jesus. If I'm walking some different way, how am I going to catch him? Prayer, listening for his voice in the scripture, being among his family and walking as he walks. Those are marks that a Jesus follower is included in Jesus' family.
So Jesus' family seeks him, but Jesus also seeks his family. Jesus seeks his family. Jesus' reply to the messenger is that he's already surrounded by his mother and brothers and sisters. Remember, Jesus has been traveling city to city, village to village, teaching, baptizing, calling disciples, healing. Jesus doesn't wait for people to come to him. He goes to people. Matthew 18:12 What do you think if any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying Jesus didn't say well I've already got my 12 apostles I'm good we'll just stay at Peter's house in Capernaum and people can just come to us Now he went around looking searching Now, in Jesus' day, it wasn't uncommon culturally to honor older people as father or mothers or to uh, call people that were your same ethnicity and religion your brothers. That's not an uncommon thing that he's saying. But with the example of his genetic family right there outside the door, this is not simply a cultural statement. Hey, we're all brothers and sisters and family in the faith. He's actually giving an elevating statement to these people, these disciples. He's saying, you know that that's my real mother and my brothers and out there, and you all my disciples, you're just like them. I've, I've seen people call this, this passage Jesus rejecting his family. He's not doing that. In fact, there, there are verses, like in Luke 14, 25-27, where Jesus talks about hating your family. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those verses are never in any of the Gospels put in context with what we're reading today. Jesus did not say that at this time. Different context. He's raising up more people to the level of his family. He's not rejecting any family. I'll tell you a story of Steve Flagg. He was a delivery truck driver at a Lowe's store. Also adopted and was looking for his birth mother for four years. He found out that he had been mistyping her last name in some of his search stuff, and so he finally got a hit, and turns out she was lived not far from where he worked. And so he asked his manager, he figured maybe she came into Lowe's at some point, he says, you ever heard of Chris Talladey? He said, you mean Chris up at the front register? 
She was working at the front cash register at the exact same lows he was working at. She went from being his co-worker elevated to his mom. Yeah, that's them. If I haven't been found by Jesus, then maybe I have to question whether or not I've been included in his family. Well, how do I know if I've been found by Jesus or not? It's the same four criteria that we just looked at before. Prayer. Do I talk to him? Does he talk to me? Do I see more of his family around me? Am I walking in the path that he walks? Or another way of questioning that, is my life any different than it would be without him? If it is, then Jesus found me. Jesus' family seeks him, and Jesus seeks his family. But, you know, like with any family, Jesus' family has challenges. As with most families, there are expectations of behavior in Jesus' family. Now, when Jesus elevated his disciples to the level of family, he didn't say, All these heterosexual Jewish conservatives are my family. Now, we don't know who all was in that house, but we do know that Jesus was known to hang out with common folks and highly educated, poor and the wealthy, the unclean, the sick. Thieving tax collectors and sinners. But we also know that Jesus transforms identity. Jesus makes the tax collector an apostle. Jesus makes the fisherman a teacher. Jesus makes the prostitute an honored disciple. Jesus makes the teacher a student. Jesus makes the wealthy generous. Jesus makes the dead person live. That's why Jesus can say, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and my mother. He says, Who among you out there are changed? If you're changed, you're my family. So there are expectations of behavior in Jesus' family. And there's also possibly feelings of rejection or replacement in Jesus' family. Now, my feelings are truly mine. My feelings are real. But my feelings are not always true globally. 
Think about this. Jesus' family had been chasing him down. We don't know how long it took. But when they finally find them, he doesn't say, what are you waiting for? Let them in. He said, he uses it as a teaching moment and he says, I'm already surrounded by my family. And if somebody does the will of God, you're my family. How would that make you feel? My mother's here visiting. What if she had called me from the airport and said, can you come pick me up? I said, I'm already surrounded by my mom's. <laughs> now, we don't know anything that happens beyond Jesus making his statement about family. The text doesn't say the rest of the story. It doesn't say that he immediately let them in. It doesn't say he sent them away. It doesn't say he kept them waiting. We don't know. I'm just saying they, Mary and Jesus' brothers might have had some hurt feelings at hearing what Jesus said. But their hurt feelings might not have been true to the reality of what he meant. And what he would do. Because one thing we know, Jesus never rejected or replaced Mary. If you're here on Good Friday, we'll hit the passage where Jesus is on the cross dying and he's ensuring the welfare of his mother, Mary. He never rejected her. She was the last person he wanted to make sure was taken care of. But expectations of behavior and hurt feelings, those things happen in a family. And those things are the outward symptoms of the probable split in the United Methodist Church. Listen to this. Pastor Mark Thompson of Central United Methodist Church in Lansing said he will defy church policy and officiate same-sex weddings. This is just last week he said this. The pastor said it's worth the punishment because he is following what he believes to be true about his faith. This is what I feel, and this is my faith. It's not the faith. And here's a direct quote from him, the pastor of this church. It's not for me to be able to say who God loves and who God doesn't. If I'm going to make a mistake... I'd rather make a mistake and say God loves everyone. He doesn't realize what he just says, I don't think. He's saying it might be a mistake to say that God loves everyone. It's not a mistake to say God loves everyone. God does love everyone. But he's not sure. But he's willing to make, if it's a mistake to say that, I'll make that mistake. One of his congregation members, her name is Susan, she said, this is another quote, I've never been able to understand how people can define loving someone, really mutual love, consensual love, as a sin. Love's not a sin. But the real issue 
is that it takes more than love and consent to make sexual relations not a sin. Ever think about feelings and not the truth? When I was a youth pastor, there was a woman at our church, a little new to the faith, and she said openly to the pastor, and I was there, she said she didn't feel right about the Trinity. She had faith in Jesus, but she just, she couldn't wrap her head around it. She said, I don't feel right about it. But she knew her feelings didn't align with what the truth was. She spent time studying with her pastor. And finally, one day, I heard her say, I don't understand it, but I have to believe it. And our pastor replied, welcome to faith. We all don't understand it, but we believe it. See, if I define my humanity and my behavior and my truth by my feelings, then I have no foundation for my life. Imagine if we allowed our mathematics and science to be determined by behavior and feelings. We don't do that, do we? I remember learning about math. So an even number plus an even number makes an even number. It feels right to me that an odd number plus an odd number should make an odd number. But that's not true. That's how I feel. Isn't our lives more important than our math? Don't we need a stronger foundation for our lives and for our eternity than our science? The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 7 and 8. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, the law of sin. He's like, sometimes I'm just of two minds. My feelings and my desires don't line up with God's truth. He says, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of flesh as an offering for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. We don't just walk according to our desires and our feelings. We walk according to the spirit of God. He says, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Greg Voltz, he used to be the lead singer for Petra and He had this song called Feelings. 
and I'm not going to sing it. I'll read you some of the lyrics, though. He kind of puts this feelings in the idea of being at a circus. He says, been on this roller coaster too many days, riding in a circus of emotions. I get up on the high wire, then down in the lion's cage. My feelings have been ruling my devotions. I feel like a strong man. I feel like a clown. I let my feelings push me up and down. Who can help me off this merry-go-round and tell me what is real? Can I trust what I feel? If it feels good, they say it can't be wrong, but love is more than a calliope song. How can I get back to where I belong and get off this Ferris wheel? I've got to live what's real. Feelings come and feelings go, but feelings are so deceiving. I'll place my faith in the word of the Lord. Nothing else is worth believing. The truth is, I'm created in God's image. Fallen, but able to be resurrected and transformed by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out my life in a way that actually actually reflects the image maker, God. And I need to realize as a Jesus follower that because of my old nature, sometimes living as the image of God is in conflict with how I feel or what I want. But I want to be included in Jesus' family. One more story. A woman, by the way, uh, by the name of Mariah Mills. She had a normal childhood. She was also adopted. Her adoptive parents told her that her birth parents loved her, but they hadn't been ready to care for a baby. She thought about her birth parents, especially on her birthday. She said, I had a recurring fantasy that when I finally found them, they'd invite me to dinner. And lots of family members would be thrilled to meet me. She was a junior in high school when her principal announced on September 11, 2001, that two planes had crashed into the World Trade Center. Years later, in 2004, when she requested a copy of her birth certificate, she discovered that her birth father was Tom Burnett, one of the men who prevented the hijackers from crashing United Flight 93 into the White House or Capitol building. She was never able to meet her father. Jesus also sacrificed himself so that his family could have life. And now, risen again, he's looking for us. Don't wait to seek him and be included in his family. Let's pray. From Psalm 126. When the Lord restored our fortunes, it was like a dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said... Among the people, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes like the waters come back to the streams. 
Those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Or today, as that psalmist, he sought the restoration of life that comes with harvest. And today, we seek after you, also looking for restoration of life. be re-transformed to be recaptured into the image of God let us seek you with all our heart, soul, mind and strength as you sought us with your very life and we ask this in the name of Jesus our great shepherd Amen